Well, we're really grateful to have Chris Shelby with us this morning. Some of you know Lynn and Gilda Shelby, his parents. They're Highland members here. Some of you know his brother, Kevin. I think Chris is a little better looking. (laughs) We've been blessed to have Chris and his wife, Jill, here. Over the weekend, they've been doing a marriage retreat for us. We've had about 60 here for that marriage retreat. Unfortunately, I've been in Malibu and it's been a really tough call, but uh, just wasn't able to be here for that. But really grateful for Chris and Jill leading that marriage retreat. And I've heard from a number of folks who've been here for that and have heard that it's gone really well. Chris works for Mission Resource Network. We have made use of uh, MRN. They've been some very helpful conversation partners for us as we've been leading up to the launch of our new work in China. And uh, we've been grateful for their uh, wisdom and their assistance. And so Chris works for Mission Resource Network. He's the director of their African missions. He and his family were missionaries in Rwanda for seven years. And so they bring that personal experience with them to that work for MRN. Uh, he and his wife, Jill, have recently started working for, uh, work, working with family and marriage ministries. And so the kind of work that they're doing here with Highland over the weekend in this marriage retreat. They have three kids, Fred, Tess, and Cy. They live in Fort Worth, and they're members of the Hills Church. And we're really grateful that Chris could be with us in all three of our English-speaking services. We tried this out in uh, Mandarin, but it just just didn't work well enough for him to go into the the Chinese service. So all three of our English-speaking services, that just didn't work as well in this service as it did in the chapel service. (laughs) I'll keep my day job. So would you join me in welcoming Chris Shelby to Highland this morning? Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a privilege to be with you. It is a privilege to see your faces, and it has been a wonderful weekend for us here at Highland. Uh, We've had a wonderful time with the, the marriage retreat and being able to be a part of what God is doing here in the marriage ministry. And so uh, for all of those who were uh, able to be with us for a couple of days, thank you for uh, coming and enduring that and for staying with us. And uh, it was a real privilege. Uh, Yeah, as as Chris said, uh, I am a Shelby, and I know that it's probably not too difficult to distinguish that. If you know Kevin, uh, or if you've seen my dad, the Shelby gene runs pretty strong, and it's hard to escape that uh, gene, but uh, it's been a privilege to be with them this weekend and to be here with all of you. Uh, As Chris said, our family, we were missionaries in Rwanda, East Africa for seven years, and it was a wonderful, wonderful time for us uh, in East Africa. And I think if the Lord uh, told us today to get back on a plane to go back there, we would. Uh, Life on the mission field was exhilarating, it was beautiful, it was challenging, it required more than we thought that we could give, but we saw God do incredible things. A life on the mission field is also humbling. Um, one day after we moved into the community where we lived in Rwanda, we uh, decided we wanted to open uh, a community center and uh, teach English classes for people in our community, right? 
uh, just as a way to make connection, a way to get to know people. And so we started English classes for one of the local elementary school there, schools there. People were really interested in learning English. And so a lady who came to the, our, our uh, classes was named Mama Wachu. Now, Mama Wachu worked in that elementary school, and she was a real magnetic personality, you know. She was smiling all the time, and she was connecting, and, and she really wanted to learn English. And so she was uh, one of my students, and I was teaching her, hello, and how are you, and all of these things, and she was doing great. After six weeks, she passed the course. We had a graduation ceremony, and Mama Wachu came, and we took pictures with her certificate. And then it was several months before we saw Mama Wachu again. Well, one day my wife and I and one of our Rwandan friends are walking down the street and here comes Mama Wachu. And she is so excited to see us because she wants to show that she has not forgotten her English. And so she's like, hello, how are you? And, you know, we're just grinning because she's doing great. And about halfway through our conversation, Mama Wachu steps back. She looks at me and this is when I begin to know she knows a little more English than she's let on. Because Mama Wachu steps back and she looks at me and she goes, mm, you, you have reduced. <laughs> Mama Wachu was saying that I had lost some weight since the last time that she saw me. And I said, well, yeah, you know, I've been exercising, kind of watching what I eat. You know, my wife's over here snickering a little bit. And uh, she said, because before, before you were like Papa Thomas. And I thought... Papa Thomas, what? Mama Wachu, I don't understand. What are you talking about? Now, a side note, it's customary in Rwanda to call parents by the names of their children, okay? So I have three kids, Fred, Tess, and Sai. So I could be Papa Fred or Papa Tess or Papa Sai. I don't have any kids named Thomas. She called me Papa Thomas. I didn't know what she was talking about. She goes, no, 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 no. You know, like the animal, Papa Thomas. Mama Wachu was calling me a hippopotamus. <laughs> and my wife and friend just are aghast, and then they die laughing, and they're in the ground on the, in the street, and I'm like, you're not helping. And Mama Wachu's just standing there smiling, you know, she knows English. And the only thing I could think of was, I should have failed you in English class, Mama Wachu. <laughs> Life on the mission field can be humbling, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I think the same is true for our marriages. Marriage is exhilarating. It requires more of us than we ever thought we would have to give. It's humbling, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Now, I don't have a deep treasure of wisdom to give to you today about marriage. Uh, I can't tell you the 10 secrets to a happy marriage, and I don't know all the ways to make your love last. Uh, I'm not an expert in, a relation, in relationships, but I am a practitioner. I've been married for 20 years. I've learned a couple of things to be able to stay around for this long. But I think marriage has taught me more about myself and about a life for and with others and more about God than anything that I've ever experienced. And so from that place, a place of honesty, a place of connection, a place of a fellow co-journeyer, uh, I stand with you today. Because I think marriage is a, a teacher. And like all of our relationships, whether it's how we relate to our kids, or our friends, or with each other in the body of Christ, marriage can lead us to a deeper place of knowing. 
can lead us to a different place of experiencing and it can lead us to a different place of dying. And I don't know about you, but I'm still wrestling with the whole dying part. But one of the greatest invitations of the gospel, right, is the invitation to die. It's the invitation to give up what you have in order to receive something far more than you could ever imagine. And I think God knew that we were going to need teachers in that. Jesus is the greatest teacher. Our community here is a great teacher. But I think marriage teaches us to let go of who we've always thought we had to be in order to become something more profound than we could have imagined. There's an author by the name of Christopher Hertz. He wrote a book called The Sacred Enneagram. The Enneagram was a tool that we were using with couples this weekend. And in the the beginning of the book, he talks about a spiritual director in his life by the name of Father Gillick. Okay, Father Gillick was speaking at a local elementary school one day. And uh, after his presentation, he was visiting with a fourth grade girl. And the girl came up and was engaging Father uh, Gillick in this conversation. And about halfway through, she stopped and she gasped and she stepped back and she said, Father Gillick, you're blind. And Father Gillick smiled and said, yes, sweetie, I am. I've been blind since I was a small child. And she said, she thought about that for a moment. And then she said, you don't know what you look like. And Father Gillick thought about that profound statement. But very soon, the fourth grade girl said, but you're beautiful. And when I think about the gospel, and when I think about our marriages, I think that story really says it all. Now, sometimes I forget who I am, and sometimes I forget what I look like, and sometimes I forget who God thinks that I am, and then he sends us somebody to say, but don't worry, because you're beautiful. And if you need to hear good news today, if you need to hear the gospel today, you see marriage and the gospel and Christ in us and in our relationships, it's a mystery and it's all woven together. And Paul can't talk about it in Ephesians without talking about marriage and Christ, how he loves the church all combined together. But I think that solves the mystery that that Christ and that our marriages are ways to remind us that we are more beautiful than we can imagine. And that's the good news today. No matter how twisted you feel inside, no matter how broken, no matter how messed up, no matter how broken your relationships feel, God sends us people and he sent us his son to tell us you are beautiful and don't let anything steal that from you. I think when we talk about marriage, we talk about the good news. And today I want to share a few things that I think marriage teaches us. First of all, marriage teaches us to surrender. I think like many great and beautiful things in our lives, there is a temptation to reduce relationships and people to formulas that we can follow, which will ultimately lead us to get us what we desire. If I do this, if I say that, it will cause you to do that so that I can get that, so I can be happy. 
Some more good news today. Let's just talk about a lot of good news because we need to hear a lot of good news when we come together. More good news today is that Jesus took transactional relationships to the grave with him. Let me say that again. Jesus took transactional relationships with him to the grave because you can't go more all in than when Jesus Christ, while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. You can't go more all in than that. When we were still in the ditch, when we were still bloody, when we were still broken and bruised, Christ did it all. He didn't say, you do that, I'll do this, we'll meet in the middle and we'll see how it goes. But somehow I think that's the gospel that we're still living. That we believe that Christ has set up a transactional relationship with us. That you've got to do this part, I'll do this part, and maybe we'll get to heaven together somehow. Man, but the good news, church, the good news is that transactional relationships are a thing of the past, and we do not have to live that way anymore. Not with Christ and not with each other. I don't have to do this so my wife will love me, and she doesn't have to do that so I will love her. What we're actually called to do is to surrender. I don't have these needs, and I place them all on my wife so that I can be happy when she meets them. It's a constant recipe for disaster when we live that way with each other. Right? It doesn't work. Transactional relationships do not work. The invitation of the gospel, and I think the invitation of marriage, is that we take, I have all of these needs, I have these ideas, these things that I think will make me happy, and I lay them down, and I say, I'm going to surrender them, and I'm going to commit to be present with you in this relationship, no matter what, whether these needs are met or not. That's the deeper move of the gospel. That's what the gospel teaches us about marriage and about relationships. That we have these things that we think we have to have to be okay in the world. But you know what? I love you so much and I'm going to commit to you so much that I'm going to surrender what I think that I need. And we're going to commit to be present in the middle of this and figure this thing out together. And I'm not going anywhere. That is the picture that Jesus teaches us about marriage. And it's an amazing thing, the power of surrender. You know, I think we think when we surrender, we'll lose ourselves, right? Well, if I lay this down, then who am I going to be? We lay this down, I, I don't know who I am anymore. But when you think about Jesus, he taught us a different way. Because when Jesus surrendered everything, he now fills the earth and he fills all things and he's universally connected. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says, He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus surrendered it all and now he increased exponentially to fill everything. Surrender does not mean annihilation. When we surrender, we become more than what we could imagine. And his surrender is what it made it possible for him to tell his disciples and us and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our relational experiences are often filled with competition. They're filled with competition to get what we think that we need from each other. When you think about how Jesus relates to the church, Jesus does not compete with the church. Jesus doesn't say, I have to have this before I can give you anything. Jesus says, 
I surrender it all so that you can have everything and become everything that you can imagine. What am I willing to give up for my wife? What are we willing to give up for our spouses? See, surrender leads us to presence. Christ is with us always to the very end of the age. And presence is an incredible gift to give to one another. I think marriage also teaches us compassion. We often dare not risk compassion for one another because we don't believe that we can be compassionate to ourselves. And we don't believe that we can be compassionate towards ourselves because deep down we still doubt that God feels compassion towards us. Somehow we're still just not quite sure. When God looks at us, he looks at us and he says, I have compassion towards you. Somehow we still think that God is disgruntled and displeased somewhere and he thinks, you know what? You may be trying hard, but you're not doing enough. You're working really hard and I see some of your efforts, but it's just, it's just not good enough and you need to do better. And that's the voice that we hear of God in our heads over and over. And so we don't feel like he has compassion on us. So we can't have compassion on ourselves and on other people. William Paul Young is, a, is an author. Uh, wrote a book many of you may be familiar with, The Shack. Uh, he was written a new book called Lies We Believe About God. And in that book, he talks about this very concept. He tells a story of going to speak in a women's prison. And he was there sharing about the shack and about, uh, he said, I talk a lot about prisons when I go there because I've lived in a lot of prisons that I've made for myself. And those are the ones that we're typically comfortable staying in, the prisons that we construct, right? And so he was sharing from his profound and deep experience with this and talking about father and talking about the, some of the themes from the shack. And there was a lady who uh, stood off in the corner and all the prisoners wanted to come and to talk with him and to hug him and to meet him after it was over with. She waited until everybody was gone. She shuffled over to him when there was nobody else in the room except the guard. And she couldn't even look him in the face. And she was weeping. And she said, do you really think, do you really think that the father is fond of me? You really think that the father loves me? And he embraced her and they began to sob together. And he said, yes, the father is fond of you. She cried a little bit more and she stepped back and she wiped her tears and she looked him in the face for the first time. And she said, that's all I needed to know. And I think that's our experience. I think that's me and I think that's you. We show up here wondering we show up not quite sure, is the father fond of me? Can he really love me? Can he really be compassionate towards me? And the gospel today is that yes, the father is fond of you. And then when we surrender to our kind father and we surrender to everything that we think that we have to be in order to be loved and okay in this world, then we can move away from rejection we can move away from no compassion and we can live with compassion believing that the best about our father and the best about one another. You know, one of the great tragedies in our world is that our churches and our homes can be some of the least compassionate places on earth. This is a space that you've got to be able to step into to hear the truth that Christ feels compassion for you. 
and that our homes and our marriages are places where we learn to be compassionate for one another. That's another thing I think marriage teaches us. Another thing marriage teaches us is to connect. Can I share a, a difficult realization that I've come to? Now, this could be just me in some of the unique ways that I've misunderstood relationships. But maybe it's something that you've identified too. Often, I think we are more interested in consuming our spouses than connecting with them. And I think this goes back to the transactional patterns that we've kind of been used to living. That if you do this for me, and as long as you live this way, and as long as you talk this way, and as long as you keep providing these things for me, then our marriage, we're going to be okay. And then when all, some of those things stop happening, and maybe our spouse stops paying attention, or maybe our relationship just isn't bringing us the fulfillment and what we think that we need anymore, we, we begin to see our spouses as commodities to use rather than people to connect with. And I don't know if we would, you know, say it that uh, uh, abrasively, if we would recognize that pattern that distinctly, but, but I've recognized it, I know, sometimes in my own life, and I don't know, maybe you have too. But marriage teaches us connection. But sometimes our marriages are the hardest place to find connection when we treat people as commodities to be used rather than people to connect with. We in, it's so interesting that the, one, the places where we are designed to find connection within our churches and I think within our families are oftentimes the places we feel most disconnected and lonely. And I think it's because I still have my needs as an idol that other people are supposed to serve. And I, and I can't get to compassion and, and I can't get uh, to connection if I don't start with surrender. What God said in the beginning, it is not good for mankind to be alone. God knows we're not supposed to be by ourselves. And he said that right there with Adam. And it's interesting because Adam was there when God makes the statement, God and Adam were together when God makes the statement, it's not good for mankind to be alone. Well, Adam wasn't alone. God was right there in the room or in the forest or wherever they were standing. But God looked at the situation and he recognized that there was something more that was needed. We were created to live in connection with God and with other people. And that's why Jesus teaches what are the greatest commandments, right? To love the Lord your God with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no move away from our connection with God and our connection with people because we were made to be together. We are most like God when we are connected to others. You look at the way that God lives within himself, the Trinity, and that's a mystery too. We're talking about mysterious subjects today. We're talking about Christ and the church, and we're talking about marriage and relationships. We're talking about the Trinity. And I don't understand all of these things, but I think they can be pictures. And when you look at how God relates to one another, and you see the Father and the Son and the Spirit living together in perfect unity, perfect connection, perfect love, that is the picture that we are invited to. And while we still see through a veil, and we still can't quite see things clearly, and we can't quite live fully into that yet. A day is coming when you're going to live in full connection with God and with others. And our marriages teach us that. 
Our marriages teach us how to surrender and how to be compassionate and how to connect with each other. Last thing that I think marriage teaches us, marriage teaches us to remember. The truth is that we sometimes forget who we are, that we are the beloved of God, that we were meant for connection. Has it ever happened to you? Have you forgotten who you are sometimes? I think that's why God has given us the privilege to, to live in marriage relationships and to live in other relationships in the world. Because as spouses and as friends, we can see this happen to one another and we can respond in different ways. Sometimes we get angry. You've forgotten who you are and I see you living distorted and trying to take care of yourself and your own needs and I can belittle you. I can manipulate you. I can be upset with you. I can accuse you. But we were created to live in connection so that we can help us to remember. That's what Jesus did. So he came back and he said, I'm gonna live to show you what you look like. And sometimes when we forget, our marriages, our relationships can be just like that. Or we can say, there you are. What a gift that we can give when we remember and when we can help our spouses to remember. Marriages are mystery. Gospel is a mystery. But if we remember who we are, we're gonna be okay. If we remember who God is and who Christ is, we're gonna be okay. And I think those are some things that marriage helps us to remember. It's been a privilege to be with you this morning. May God bless you. It's an honor to be with you. Let's stand and uh, sing together. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. And it's high.